0: Exodus chapter fifteen, starting in verse twenty-two, and we read this. <clears throat> so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. Would you say Shur? Sure. Now, come on, you got. There's more than two of you out there. Shur. Sure. Not bad. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Mara, would you say Mara? Mara. Come on, you can give me more than that. Mara. Mara. That wasn't bad. They could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara, which, by the way, means you guessed it, bitter. From which we get, by the way, Mary, Marie, and Moses' sister Mariam all come from the same word. So, how'd you like to have an older sister named Bitter? I guess it's better than some other names like oppression, like Ma'aka. Guys, if you ever meet a girl named Ma'aka, anyways, you get the idea. The people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. He cast it into the waters and the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them and there he tested them. And he said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord God who the Lord here who heals you. Then they came to him, and so then they came to Elim. Could you say Elim? 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 That's a place you definitely want to know, Elim. And they were there were twelve uh wells of water and 70 palm trees and they camp there by the waters. Now, My goal is to go through 16 too, but let's start with prayer right here and we're going to dig into this and see what happens. Father, I know that you have intended this time to be a time of profundity in the sense of, Lord, us being available and you being willing to teach us and equip us and challenge us and grow us. May we have so much fun. May the time go rightly by. May there be no second wasted. May there just be, Lord, that gripping of our hearts and our minds and our attentions, Lord, to that which you want to speak to each of us. So, Lord, I pray for a fresh immersion of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, for a fresh unction, that fresh power, Lord, as you come upon me to do that which I cannot humanly do but you can do without, without any form of complication. And that, Lord, is to speak to each one of us, to challenge us to equip us, to exhort us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to do whatever is necessary so that each one of us would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Lord, you know what we're going through right now. You know what things we're dealing with, Lord, that are great. You know what things we're dealing with that we're struggling with. And, And I just love you, Lord, and I know that you're going to address each one of us today. So Lord, I pray that you would speak, that you would just genuinely now powerfully address us. And Lord, may we walk out of here saying, wow, I met the Lord there. And why I'm just, I'll never be the same. So Lord, you know what to do in this time. Lord, bring vulnerability in our hearts. Bring attentiveness, Lord, in our minds. And Lord, for whatever it is, we're in, it's a relatively warm room. Um, sometimes it's colder, Lord, and we know it's quite cold outside. We want to thank you for this warmth. But Lord, even in it, I just pray, Lord, that we would not get so comfortable that we can't hear, that we would deafen ourselves to hear what it is you want to say. But Lord, more than just hearing, Lord, challenge us to act upon it by faith. So Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, save, equip, challenge, do all that you intend. Redeem every second, we pray, as we commit this to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please just don't believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be that for which you test and hold all things to be true. Now, think about where we're at in our text. I I cried out to you, Lord, in my oppression. you, You heard my cry you brought me out, but I left bold. The word, remember, room, haughty. I left proud. So you let the enemy at me. And in that, you didn't do it that he would take me down, but you did it so that I would be humbled and I would cry out to you. And in crying out to you, you took the enemy down in front of me. And in that then, the question is, is I may still yet to be fully convinced that you're Lord of all. Now that I've been in essence saved from the enemy, now I will realize that there will be a further need for saving. Though I've been saved from the enemy at the Red Sea, what's going to become very evident even in this passage is that I need to be saved from me. And this becomes a problem. And one of the reasons it becomes a problem is because the rest of the world tells us that we have to make ourselves the most important thing. Scripture says we need to make ourselves the farthest thing. Because God has a plan for our lives. And part of it is to actually reinvent and to do that. He really doesn't want the original copy that we mucked up so bad to be in competition with it. God is about to use human natural base appetites to get my attention, to sequester and to demand obedience and from that to showcase my inaptitude inaptitude to it. In other words, God is going to take very natural needs, hunger and thirst. And He's going to take those things and He's going to show me the necessity to obey and show me that I am just not good at it. And if you're anything like me, and I think you are at least in this, we're just not naturally good at obeying the rules. Unless we think there's some personal benefit to it, or we have a tremendous fear that breaking it could cause tremendous pain to us. We have now left the Red Sea, and we read this now in verse 22. Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. Now can you say Shur one more time? Sure. Now, Some of you can roll that I know you got that in you. The word Shur, by the way, means a wall. And I actually like this. God knows what He's doing. We've left the Red Sea where we watched all of, of Pharaoh's army do the dead man's float. And now we've gone to the place that's called the wilderness of the wall. There comes a time in our walk with Christ where we've said yes to Him. Things seem all beautiful. We love to sing our songs and raise our hands. And Somewhere down the line, we start to ask ourselves, what happened? How did I cool? How did I chill out? We can already feel the cold coming in from the outside, can't we? We go, what, what, what happened? I feel like I hit a wall. Well, that's where we're at here in this wilderness. And we would think, well, Lord, wouldn't you take me out of Egypt, this place of bondage, and immediately bring me into a place full of my favorite foods for Ruthie that would be the land of steak and tuna, of sushi You might say milk and honey. For her, it's probably steak and sushi. But there's this wilderness in between. In the wilderness, God has ordained surgery on every one of us. We don't like that. Unless, of course, we are convinced that what it is in us is so bad that surgery is kind. But for every one of us, we have gangrene. That which is inside our spirit that has gone septic. And here, God is now bringing them to the wall. The question is, at a moment like this, what makes the wall? Notice what happens. They were three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara because they were... What is it? You tell me. Because they were what? Come on, there's more than four of you. They were what? They were bitter. The land is called Mara. The water is called Mara because Mara means bitterness. Can I just dare say, welcome to your first lesson in the wilderness? There you are, you're walking, hallelujah, Like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm loving Jesus. What's this? I'm not getting any farther. I didn't want a wilderness experience. I wanted a paradise experience. Jesus said to that guy that on the cross today you'll be with me in paradise. How come I have to wait 40 years? And he goes, well, let me tell you, the problem is the wall started inside you. That was the wilderness. That's the first thing. And as you go to the wilderness, something happens in the wilderness. And don't miss this. In the wilderness, God has this beautiful habit of simplifying. You see, you can busy up your life so much, you could forget about your problems. They don't go away. But you could forget about them for the moment. Because if you could keep that iPod loud enough in your ears, you won't have enough time to really, really think about it. Now think about this. This information thing really does have ability to kind of damper the way we think. And this is one of the reasons I know it. If you've ever driven somewhere and you're looking... To go on the you're like you're looking on a map where you just know the address is 315 park lane or something and you're somewhere in the 300s before as you start to slow down to look how many of you would turn down your radio right you turn on your radio and you're going to start looking as if somehow that's going to bring the letters or the numbers forward a little bit right oh i'm going to see it but we just know that now i need to actually use more than one brain cell to actually get that number, and equate it into my head. And there's something not turning it down. And the reason I say that is, in the wilderness, God has this beautiful way of simplifying things enough. Because all a wilderness is is gloriously Spartan. A place where there's a lot less than, listen, there's a lot less than you're used to. And we don't like that. Because we want more. The more we have, the more I don't have to think about the gangrene that's in my spirit. But the more that God wants to show it to us us, and we're running from it, the more we get irritated with God. But God's only doing that because He says, can I just give you this diagnosis because I'd really like to remove this. And here, our first lesson, our first complaint, we've just watched Pharaoh's army die in front of us. You'd think the song would last longer than a chapter. I mean, Miriam joined in. She grabbed her keys and started shaking them. Remember that last week, ladies? And you were saying, you know, the horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea. And then we, then, God says, let's go right on to the next thing. Now all y'all complaining. Why? Because you hit a wall. What's that wall? That wall's a bitterness. Well, the question is, what is bitterness? Can I just say it's just simply this? Me holding on to that which God wants to forgive. That's it. God wants to forgive it through me, and I want to hold on to it. The word forgive in the simplest sense literally means to cast away and abandon. That's all it means. But if I want to hold on to it, I'm not going to want to cast it away. I'm certainly not going to want to abandon it. And what's amazing is, listen please, every one of us could be convinced we have a right to be better. All we have to do is listen to the enemy. She said she'd never do that again. He said he was going to stop that. Oh, wait a minute. The world's supposed to be better. You've been so kind to them. Why aren't they kind to you? Look at all you've done. The moment you start scorekeeping, you're preparing yourself to be bitter. Are you aware of that? You know how many times I wash the dishes? Dishes. See, I can't even say it. That tells you where I'm at doesn't it, right? <laughs> You know, and it's, you know, it happens among roommates, it happens among marriages, it happens among friends, it happens at work, and somebody else gets the, the promotion or the job, and you don't, and you are just, and, and you go, Oh, and God says, no, look it, I want to cast that off of you and leave it, and I want to ban it. And you go, no, no, I want to hold on to it. Now, look it, can I just say it as plainly as Scripture does? Because some want to play the game of saying, look it, you, you, know, you really don't need to forgive anyone unless they really ask you, you know, and they really kind of give you a detailed description. No, let me ask you, According to Scripture, it tells us that we are to forgive those who sin against us like the way that we've been forgiven. So do you really want that to be the game you want to play with the Lord? Do you really think you've been very good at confessing every sin you've ever done wrong to the Lord? Aren't you thankful that the Lord is better than that? And this is, what the, this is my attitude about it. The Jesus says, "...to the level in which you forgive, cast away and leap, is to the level in which you should be forgiven." So in other words, can I just say it simply? You're okay, I, you have my permission, you, are, you have the freedom, and you are welcome to not forgive someone for something, as long as you're willing to go to hell for it. Be warmed and filled. Alright, now, and the reason I say this, that's what Jesus says. Look at what I want is to be people who actually forgive others. Now, you could say, well, I can forgive them. And I might say, you're probably right. But the one who forgave the sins of all mankind, if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, He died on the cross for your sins, that's how He paid for yours, when you did it wrong against Him and He paid for it. Listen to that again. You did it against Him and He still paid for it. On the cross, dying on the cross and raising again on the third day. You could say, but do you know how horrible that was? And I might say, no, I don't. But He does. And the God who lives inside of you wants to set you free. And if today you're holding on to bitterness, it doesn't matter to whom or what. Now, I don't, want to make, I don't want to diminish if a situation's been wicked and horrible. I will agree with you. It's been wicked and horrible. But not forgiving now does not punish them. And if you've been a victim, regardless of what the situation is, Stop making yourself a further victim by this unforgiveness. You say, well, what do I need to do? You need to ask the Lord, please. And it may be, in the beginning of it, a very consistent, common, disciplined action of saying, Lord, I need your help to forgive. I need you to forgive through me. I need you, I'm need i picking it back up again, Lord. So let, forgive through me again. Oh, Lord, I, I keep wanting to run back to it and pick it up again. So, Lord, forgive through me. And I tell you, there have been situations, Landon and David can testify of situations where we've watched people do some just rotten things. And in it, you know, Landon's like, you know, I think you really kind of need to let that go now. And it's like, I'd like to. And it's like, well, let's pray. And then pray for me. That's my answer. Pray for me. Because, I, you know, it's like, I don't want to walk around with that baggage. And I know you don't either. And here we are now. The base appetite, no notice, was thirst. And something happened here. And it tends to be that somehow, listen, sin tends to be a drying agent. David knew that. He said, when I kept silence, my bones dried up like the drought of summer. When David refused to confess his sin about Bathsheba before the Lord, that guy dried up like powder. And then he says, then I confessed my sin to you? Here's the crazy thing. Even if someone has sinned against you, and they may have, if you refuse to let it go, and you just feel like you have a right to hold on to it, and the Lord's telling you to let it go, and you're telling God no, think about that statement for a moment the moment you are telling god no the sin is on you now and again i'm not making light of what happened to you but i'm making serious about now what you're doing to you and at that point confess your sin to the lord lord i'm holding on to this and i don't i don't need to i want to i feel like i have a right to But I'm a bond slave of you and I gave up my rights the moment I became your bond slave. Here we are, we've just left the enemy being destroyed in front of us and you'd think the enemy was alive and kicking right in front of us because we're still getting beat up but the only reason we're getting beat up now is because of our own bitterness. Well, how do we answer that problem? Well, notice how the problem is solved here. They came to a place called Bitter. They couldn't drink the water because it was bitter and therefore they named the place Bitter. Did you get it? So the people complained. As they complained, literally, the term loon, it means to dig in your heels and be obstinate. They said, What should we drink? So he, that's Moses, cried out to the Lord. Did you see something missing here with the people? They never cried out to the Lord, they cried out to a man. Pastor Tony, let me tell you what my brother did. Pastor Tony, let me tell you about that fool. I said, Tony, that person smells and they always sit next to me in a pew. I'm hypotheorizing here. I'm only saying this is... But you can shower. But they complained against Moses. Moses is going to say on at least three different times, Who am I? Am I the complaints department? Your problem's not with me. You ever feel really bad for a gate agent when a flight gets canceled? And if you know what I'm talking about. Because you know there's a whole bunch of people that want to yell at him as if he was the one who said, Ha ha ha, I'm gonna punish you all, I'm gonna cancel the flight. The poor guy is getting paid minimum wage there to stamp your ticket and get you through and you're going, ah, what do you think you are? And he's like, ah, I'm here to take your hatred And he's like, You know what? Even if I agreed with you fully, I can't make the flight happen. It isn't like I can call my boss and go, never mind boss, there's enough yelling people here, go ahead and let it go. He's just a servant. Your train gets canceled and you're waiting, the next one comes, now it's twice as crowded and you really want to yell at the guy who's driving the train and you think, like what, he told everyone to get on that train? Moses is just a servant here and the people complain to him. That's, by the way, the natural sinful way to handle sin when someone sins against you is you want to tell someone and you know why if you're good enough at it you can make it look like you're not doing that yeah let's role play i'm uh, just the average church goer and i'm gonna sit next to my go like this How are you? She might say, "Good." How are you? Not <sighs> well, so good. Why? Guess what happened? I just she just rolled out the carpet for me. Say, well, that fool, man?" Let me tell you what that fool did. But you know what? I don't want to gossip. So just just pray for me. But I got it off. You know what? And look at at that point, I didn't like. I actually blessed her. And to be honest, it isn't even like I got it off my chest. You know what I did? spiritually, I threw up on her. That's what I did. I spiritually had this problem. I had this sort of spiritual indigestion. She says, what's up? And I went, all over. Hi, Jenny. <laughs> and that becomes the problem. But you know what? And somehow you're like, ah, I feel better for a moment. But I'm going to feel bad again in another moment because it isn't off of me yet. But guess what I just did? I just made someone else feel a lot worse. And I hit a wall. Now, If somebody starts doing that at you and you kind of saw that image of someone throwing up on you, you might want to just kind of put your hand on their lips for a second and go, before you go any farther with that, let me tell you what I learned in church. It says here, the people complained against Moses. He cried out to the Lord. Someone needed to. So Moses did verse 25, and the Lord showed him something. The word show, by the way, is the word yara. And it's interesting because the word literally means to flow like water. What a fun word for God to choose to use here. So my question to you is, what did the Lord show Moses? You tell me. It's in the scripture. Come on now. What did he show? Look and say it. Uh huh. Okay, now all of you. Now now the rest of you. Just to make sure that none of you are really in a coma. What did the Lord show Moses? Right. He showed him a tree. Not a grove of trees. He didn't show them a forest. I remind you, they are going to they're going to show up on a place in a moment here where there's a lot of palm trees. But he showed them one tree in the wilderness. What did God tell him to do with it? Carve his name on it, spit at it, whack it with a stick? What did he tell him to do with that tree? Throw it in the water. Now, I don't know about you, but he didn't say he showed him a stick. So how many of you think about, think about this. Put it in, put it into experience for a second. The Lord said, there's a tree. Go throw it in the water. And you think, sure, let me get my jeep. My tree puller. And if you think, how am I going to get that tree out? More than likely Moses is going to need some help. Unless, we don't read anyway, we read Moses was the humblest man that ever lived, but we don't read that Moses was the buffest man that ever lived. You notice that? It isn't like he went, Samson, you want to wrestle? We don't read that. It's a little anachronistic, but you get the idea. More than likely, what he had to do is he had to go, Hugo, I know this is going to sound really weird, but um, I am too weak to yank out that tree right now. I could use a little help. you willing to help me. Peter. Duh, Peter. Hey, bruv. kind of need some help with the tree. I need to put the tree in my bitter. And you can go, what what, what are you talking about? Here's the good news. I don't think, listen, though we may not, the two things we we may really know is the the bitter, but the one thing we're going to know all for sure is, since it's a tree that the Lord showed him, probably neither of you are going to go, which tree? We're in the wilderness. There's one tree in the middle of it. And I'm like, I need help with the tree. You get it? Peter goes, can you help me, Peter? Chooks, come on, bro. I need some help with the tree. Why? I need to toss it in my bitter. Are you with me so far? Interesting, because the next time I start seeing a tree, it'll be in Leviticus when God talks about not worshiping one. And yet the time right after that in Deuteronomy is when he says, cursed is the one who hangs on it. For which Galatians will tell me that's Jesus. And the tree which is spoken of is The cross. And he didn't say that you had to do a fancy dance. You had to speak in Latin, which wasn't invented yet. Didn't say that you had to sing a cantata, that you had to crawl up some steps on your knees. All you had to do was throw it in. Do you have people with you that are friends of yours, I would love you enough that if you were to say, I'm having a real problem with the bitter right now. Could you help me throw the tree in? And I guarantee you. And it doesn't say that they waited six days, that they boiled the water, and it was a lovely tea. It said that it was immediately made sweet. Sweet. Now, Here you are wanting to walk. It's not the Christian stance. There will be times where you know that you're supposed to stand, but it's never to stop walking in the sense it's to hold your ground in a battle. We're not giving up any ground here. But He's called you to walk. And there are some times where you're like, you know, I'm just not going anywhere. I'm not taking a step. I don't get it. I'm trying. I feel like I hit a wall. But I suggest there's a really good place to start. Is there anything you're really bitter of? And in that moment, doesn't the butt jump in right away? But they did. But they, but I was, but they were, but they were human. They were rotten. They were wicked. Yeah, Probably. But now you're beating yourself up. How are you going to step forward when you put yourself in front of you to stop you? You need to throw the tree in. That's where this starts. Are you with me? Are you with me on this? Now, it's interesting because God's going to make a statute from it. But can I just say one thing? If you've been a Christian for a while, there's one more time in Scripture where the water becomes is undrinkable, and God changes it. And instead of actually building on the next chapter, which I would really love to do, I think I'd rather just for a moment want to make this clear. In Second Kings chapter nineteen, chapter two actually, in chapter two, the prophet's name is Elishama. Would you say Elishama? That makes it easier. When the first one's name is Eliyahu, can you say Eliyahu? Yeah. Now, that's a, now, it's a lot easier to distinguish Eliyahu from Elishema than it is to say Elijah and Elisha. So maybe like, which one was it? And if you're like one of those that like you're not really sure which one it is, you're like, Elisha, and then you're like, well, of course that's what I said, one's, you know. So we're kind of happy that they're kind of, you know, and one's the successor of the other. It's like George Foreman, all of his kids are named George, that makes it easy. Who did this? Who, who broke this lamp? George, figured. But with this, this is the second guy. Elishama. Ironic, his name means God has heard. Shema, to listen, to give attention to. The ironic thing is he's the prophet who sees. Eliyahu, the Lord is God. He's the one who's the prophet who hears. So here's our second guy. It tells us in chapter 2, and if you would, turn to Second Kings. Now if you're new to the Bible... You're going to flip to the right. Joshua judges Ruth, Samuel's Kings, and there you are. First, Second King, Kings, chapter two. So you'll flip you'll, where you're at. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua judges Ruth, first and second Samuel, and then first and second Kings, chapter two, verse nineteen. The men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice. The situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put some salt in it. And they brought it to him. And he went out to the source of the water and cast the salt there. And thus says the Lord, I have healed this water, for there shall be from it, there shall be no more death and no more barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elishama, which he spoke. Scripturally, God uses certain things as types or as emblems or symbols of other things. He does this because he knows we're kind of daft and it helps us to understand things. For instance, Egypt, the the country from which Israel has just left in exodus, God will use as a symbol for the world from this point forward. The Amalekites, a group of people we're going to meet in a handful of chapters that are going to attack the rear flanks. God is going to use as a symbol or a type or an emblem of the flesh getting you when you're weak and straggling and how that victory is won by the way it's there that we meet Jesus or Joshua in that particular battle he will use oil or living water for instance as emblems or examples as he will dove of the holy spirit We have these cool little things in Scripture for God to help us understand. And here's one of them. Salt throughout Scripture has an interesting tendency. One thing is it tends not to break down like the other things. It tends to have an enduring effect. As a result of that, salt tends to be an emblem or or a type of the covenant or of the everlasting of God. Eternity. We use salt in those days not just to flavor meat, but to keep it enduring so that it doesn't die and break down. It is in essence then the kind of thing that we would put, you know, today there's all kinds of artificial things that we would call a preservative. It preserves. In Scripture, can anyone think beyond this point, back in the book of Genesis, any place where there was salt Lot's wife, that's right, Lot's wife got turned into a pillar of salt, a pillar, another thing that is used as an example of a testimony. Now interesting, because that same area is the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, God God would rain down fire and brimstone, and that area will be covered in salt. To this day, if it's the same area, and we assume it is, that's the area of the Dead Sea. I'm going to look for Atlantis. You want to look for Sodom and Gomorrah. It's probably underneath that. And God made sure you couldn't get there. And how did he do it? Because when you get to the water, you float. You can't even get under. He's like, why would you want to dig up Gomorrah again? Right? You get the idea. And I get what's happening then in the story in 2 Kings. You see, these are people who actually claim to be belonging to the Lord. They're his. They've given themselves over not just to being called his, but actually into service. And somewhere down the line now, it's death and barrenness. And they think, this isn't right. How did I, who was a servant of the king, not just a child, but a servant of the king, how is it that my life seems to be surrounded with barrenness? There's no fruit in what I'm putting my hands to anymore. There's no life in what's coming in. Can I just dare say, that the Lord, on the other hand, says, well, there's a way to handle this. You know what you've been missing a lot these days? Eternity. That's what you've been missing. It isn't like you don't belong eternally to me. It's just not in your water anymore. You see, that which you're looking for refreshment, there's no eternity in that. That what you're looking for for cleanliness, there's no eternity in that anymore. That what you're looking for as a source of life, there's no eternity in that anymore. So exactly how do you expect to find really great fruitfulness when what you're really trying to do is get bang for buck for the moment to get yourself ahead in something that's temporary? God says, I'm playing for keeps. I'm looking at this from an eternal perspective. And yet looking at this from an eternal perspective, man, you're just pouring water on something that, well, it's kind of like being really, really cold outside. And someone says, I've got a pitcher of hot water. Can I pour it on you right now? Because for the moment, that will make you warmer. For the moment and then you're gonna get a lot colder and maybe you're in this place where you're growing and you want to serve the Lord but you're feeling like there really isn't Well, let me ask you have you got suckered back into the world where everything's now about the temporary now you know a a secular song more than you would praise from your heart and now you know a quote from a movie more than you would know a text in Scripture and now you would know much more about the styles and the, and you know, and the pop culture and the pulp fictions of the day, so much more than you would about the move of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden you've tried to be relevant, but what you've done is you've become irrelevant to heaven. He's like, man, you need to put the salt back in. And then you show up at church and like, nah, man. And you're evaluating how good the music is, how entertaining a speaker is, whatever. But you're not actually going there to be touched anymore because it's not about eternity anymore to you. It's about a temporary fix. And you might as well go see a movie because at least you know the one thing I can say that church has that maybe most movies do is that we are genuinely 3D. Huh? Look at, watch this. <laughs> see? Huh? That was good, huh? You may not get to have popcorn, pop- popcorn here, but you certainly can at least get some 3D. Now, the only reason I say that is is that if what we're looking for is a temporary fix, why in the world would we sit in church? I want to be made better for the the exchange of events that take place so that it further benefits eternity and not just the moment. Now, look, here's where we're at. In Exodus, we've hit a wall, and that wall, God starts to reveal. And can I just say that any moment God shows you something, it's never for God to taunt you. Even though we went out haughty, it's never for God to taunt you, but it's rather for God to simply ask you, in my sight, this is really, really ugly. Will you agree with me? Because when I take it from you, I don't want you to fight me for it. The last thing God wants is to take away something that really kills you, but you still think is cool. So there you are, you're hanging out with some friend and they're dragging you down. And God says, I really want to sever this relationship. And and you just go, you know, I hate this effect and I hate this effect. And every time I'm around them, I get drunk. Every time I'm around them, I wind up sexually sinning. Or every time I'm around them, I talk like I shouldn't talk or whatever. And God says, well, then we need to sever this relationship. And you are like, no, you can't do that. Then I would be alone. And God says, I died to be with you. How in the world could you play that card on me? God says, I don't want to fight you for this. And you know what I've learned, at least in my life, and I believe in every one of ours, is God will show you something and go, Is this as ugly to you as it is to me? And you'll be like, Sorta. And God will go, Okay, I'll wait. Because it's going to get uglier. The mass will grow, things will get uglier. And then God will go, How about now? And you're like, Yeah, that's ugly. God goes, Can I take it away? Yeah, maybe. Okay, I'll wait. And then your life gets more miserable and now it starts weighing down on you. And God goes, Now, nah, how about now? Is it really ugly? Yeah, it's really ugly. Is it bothering you? Yeah, it's really bothering. Can I take it away? Yeah, but for how long? For how long? Forever. I'm not really sure. Okay, I'll wait. Right. And finally the Lord goes, Alright. And sooner or later you're gonna go, Alright, Lord, please just get this away from me forever. He goes, I'm not playing Abraham and Isaac on everything. If it kills you, I want it gone. So God says, you hit a wall, well, let's check your heart. Is there any bitterness in there? I guarantee you, what's missing in bitterness is the stick. Because if the tree were there, he wouldn't have bitterness. The tree cleanses you from that bitterness. God wants to have you walk out of here free. Maybe you're growing in the Lord, and as you're growing in the Lord, you're thinking, but man, I want to serve, and I feel like I'm not, there's no fruitfulness. Well, let me ask you, is your mind still on eternity? Are you still aware that the Lord's coming back? Are you still excited about the fact that you'll stand before him? Or if the Lord came back at this very moment, would you just be like, Lord, could you come back in ten minutes? Because I still got a couple things I want to do. man, if that's the case, I wonder why there's no fruitfulness to it. We're supposed to bear forth the fruit of eternity. No, this is where we end this. It says, he thus, verse, End of verse 25, He made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. Now understand, when God gives you a test, it's not because God wants to know what you know. He already knows what you know and don't. The only time that God sets up a test is because you don't know what you know and don't know. According to Scripture, what is the most deceitful thing in the universe? Your heart. Dang it. Someone go, Satan. Mm, No, actually, according to Scripture, this is what it says. The heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Is that a really uncomforting verse to you? Especially when we're raised on, you've got to follow your heart. Follow it where? If my heart can lie to me, my heart also knows how to lie to me about things I want to believe. You're 13 and you want to believe that 18 year old girl is all digging your chili. And she looks and smiles because she's nice. You're half her height. And you go, there it is. I told you, she loves me. She loves me. And your heart goes, see, I told you. She smiled. I mean, this is theoretical. This isn't, of course, happening, ever happened to me. But, but I've been told stories. <laughs> oh, I don't want to pay my taxes. I just believe the government's going to overlook me. I'm sure that's the case. I'm sure it's not going to happen. I'm going to keep driving past the speed limit. I'm sure I'll never get a ticket. Why? Because I'm invisible person. I don't think so. They have special cameras that even photograph invisible persons. <laughs> so when the Lord tests, this is what He does. He shows you that you still need to be saved from you. He shows me I still need to be saved from me. But he also does another thing in his testing. He refines us. He doesn't just go, ha ha ha, you failed. Failed. No, sir. He doesn't do that. Because he already knew it before that point. He does it because he wants to see change. Isn't it awesome that God would be like that? Because God could just be like, I am so fed up with your attitude. God, if, think about it. If God really wanted to humiliate us, what He could do. That He doesn't. I mean, you'd think, well, He gave me a couple of children and they know how to embarrass me. God's like, nothing like what I could do. It says, so He set an ordinance, statute, an ordinance for them and there He tested them. In Psalm 66.11, or 66.10 actually, it says, Oh God, you have tested us, you have refined us, the silver is refined. Did you get where both things were there? You didn't just test us, but you refined us in it. In Proverbs 17, verse 3, it says that the refining pot is for the silver and the furnace for the gold, but the Lord tests the heart. No, poetry is in parallelism, that's classic Hebrew poetry. As this is to this, this is to this. And that's the idea. And the idea is, is when you stick silver in a refining pot, it gets refined. When you, so, when you stick gold in the fire, it gets refined. And when God sticks you in the test, you get, well, refined. That's the idea. In First Peter 1.6 it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, and then it's the scariest words, if need be. You have been grieved by various trials. God will never stick you in a trial if the need not be. Which means the moment I'm in a trial, my first, dang it, is not I'm in a trial. It's this is needed. What's wrong with my medal? And this is what it says if need be, you're going through such trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, which perishes even though tested or refined by fire, would be proven genuine and result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when he sticks you in the trial, there's a need to stick you in the trial. You ever meet someone and they're a teen and you think, that boy needs to get beat up? Just once. That boy, That I mean, maybe it's just me having been a, a teacher. There are sometimes it's like, that boy is just, sooner or later, someone's going to call him on that and that boy's going to get beat up. Maybe the best thing that happens. Now, I wouldn't, normally I wouldn't tell them to their face. But, and the idea of it is, somebody, sometimes it's like, like that guy kind of needs to get chopped down a little bit. He's way too big for the shoes he's wearing. I wonder how many times the Lord says that to us. Now, God doesn't want you beat up. That's not his jolly. God just wants you honest. And when your heart's getting the best of you, when you're really buying into the lies, and all of a sudden the metal of the faith inside of you is really polluted with all kinds of things that don't belong there, God says, it's time for some fire time. And it says, what's the end result? That the genuineness of your faith, which perishes even though refined by fire because it's more precious than gold and that's what happens to gold, will result in praise, honor, and glory. At the revelation of Christ Jesus. Now listen, listen, Perhaps some of you have heard it, but now you all will. The person who purifies gold is called a smelter. Because the act of sticking gold into a fire is the act of smelting. Now you know a new word, perhaps. And he's got a process, he knows what he does, but the gold comes in and as he sticks the gold into the fire, the part that's called the dross bubbles to the top of the surface of it and sits on the surface of the gold. Because you're probably aware of the fact gold by itself is too weak for its own weight. That's why there's a problem, for instance, in building the candelabras if they're made of pure gold because the way that they come out like this, they're not strong enough by their metal to hold up the weight of their own metal. So you have to add other metals that are stronger to it. That's why you have different carats of gold, for instance, in your rings. If you were to get a pure carat gold ring, you could break it by going like that. I've broken so many wedding rings already from helping people move or whatever the case is. I've bought titanium. That's airplane metal for my wedding ring. So if I break this, then you'll know I'm Superman. But, uh, I mean, there's no, they're going to have to cut off my finger. That's what they tell you. If your finger swells up and something needs to happen, we'll cut off your finger first because there's no way we're sawing through this. So there's a comfort in that. So anyways, the, but the idea of it is, is that gold, because of that, it's very common to mix gold with other metals. Now listen, what it does is, it, in theory it makes it stronger, but what it also does is it makes it more rigid. Hear that. It makes it more rigid. It means it makes it less bendable, less flexible. But it also makes it less precious. So a smelter knows that, so the idea is to put it in the fire. So he takes this lump of gold that now has all these other things that really don't belong there. Sticks it in the fire. And the cool thing is he doesn't have to do anything beyond that. It isn't like he has to get in the fire and poke it with a fork or anything like that. It happens on its own. The bad, listen, listen, comes to the surface. Isn't that cool? And then he pulls it out. and He scrapes it off the top with this little kind of thing. And then he goes, bam, bam, bam. And he pounds it. And you think, wow. Why? Because he wants to create more surface area. Sticks it back in the fire. It comes out. More of the impurities have risen to the surface. Scrapes them off. bang, bang, Pounds it in. How does he know when that thing is right? When it actually is free of impurities? It's actually quite simple. Because when he can pull it out, remember it's now flat. When he pulls it out, and if it's pure, he can see his own reflection in the gold. Now isn't that cool how God invented that? So God says, Jenny, I've got something for you. Love you, and because I love you, here's a little fire. And you're like, I'm not sure I like that. Maybe at this moment you're a little cold and you're thinking fire's okay until you're in it. Near it might not be so bad, in it's bad. And so in it you're like, this isn't so good, this isn't so good. And all of a sudden things come to the surface. And you're like, wow. In a trial, how did, I didn't know I had this, and I didn't know I had this, and I have greed, and I have filth, and I have anger, and I have bitterness. Whoa, where did this stuff come from? I've tucked it really into the mix so well, I just shine pretty gold. And God's like, No, 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 you mix. And so all this stuff comes, and then God's love, you say, you know, you say, Lord, forgive you, forgive me, forgive you, forgive me, Lord. I'm a mess. And God says, You're right, you're right. And what does He do? He scrapes it off, and it's gone forever. And He sticks you back in the fire. Why does He stick you back in the fire? Because you're not done yet. And so you're like, Ah, oh, but not enough. I confess. And God's like, No, there's more and other things come to and, Whoa! I didn't know I had that. That's I, I condemn people for that, you know. And God's like, yeah. And even your condemning of it shows, says something. And whoa, you know, okay, whoa, okay. And it's like condemning the actions, one thing; condemning the person is another. So, okay, forgive me. He scrapes it off, and sooner or later, the Lord pulls you out, and He sees Himself in you, and He goes, "Now that's what I'm looking for." And God says, "God's testing these people." Now, how is He going to test them? He's going to simplify. He's going to put him in the wilderness, And as he puts him in the wilderness, guess what? Ultimately, an entire old man's going to die off but a guy named Jesus and a guy named Dog. And then with that it says our last verse. verse last verse is last two. So here's how he tested them. This is what he says, verse 26. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his, in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I'll put none of the diseases on you, which I put on the Egyptians. Now I don't know about you, but that sounds like a threat. Doesn't it sound like a threat to you? To me, it like, sounds like a threat. It's like, look at if you do this, I won't make you sick. But then I think, wait a minute, which, disease, which things did he put? Well, are we talking plagues or just diseases? Because I'm thinking, well, what did he put on the Egyptians? Boils, boils. That's not. Which one of you don't sign me up? Not it. So, <laughs> and look at this. But notice, by the way, there's two ands. And notice in these two ands, this is what separates real, honest Christianity from religion, religiousness. The first one, notice it says, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight. Did you notice that? Now listen. The word "diligently heed." It's a simple word. Many of you might be familiar with it. Even if you only know two Hebrew words, it's the word "shema." It means to give careful attention to it. Now, can I just say this? I'm not a person that hears everything in the room, unless I feel like I have to. There's someone else that I know and I love very dearly who has this amazing gift. I, I won't. I won't say who, but um, it's like a radar. And it's like we could be in a room with a hundred people, and she'd be like, "I just can't believe it. Can you believe what they said to that their, their child?" And I'd be like, "Who? What? Is there a child? Where?" I just can't. It was so mean, or whatever. And I'm like, "What? What?" And it's like just that that this particular person hears everything in the room, and this particular person could be on the other side of the house. I could be whispering to one of my children on the farthest side of the house, inside the dryer while it's on. All right, honey, you could have that chocolate bar. He already had two. Some people are really gifted at giving careful attention. Did you ever have this happen? Someone introduces themselves to you, and somewhere that plug that plugs in all of the words into sentences that mean something falls out. They're like, "Hi, my name is." Like it just disappears at that moment, and you're like, "Ah, ah, none of those other words mattered. This is the one that mattered." And so you're like, "Wow, that's wow, that's cool. Your name again is." And, and it like falls out again. And you're like, "Ah!" Could you write it down on my forehead backwards? I'm gonna go stare in the mirror. We have moments like that? I've been told stories. It's never me. All right, anyways. And the reason I say that when God says you diligently heed, that's the word here, is the idea of being, paying careful attention to it. And as you do, he goes, but look, at, I'm not asking you just to listen so you can give it back on a test because this isn't written. He goes, I also want you to do it. There's the difference. And so much of Christianity is about hearing and nodding and, and occasionally maybe saying something back but really not doing it. How many of you today are really going to walk out of here and go, Alright, Lord, even if I don't think I've got any bitterness, would you just please confirm to me today that I don't? How many of us are really genuinely going to walk out of here and when we walk out this door and say, Alright, Lord, you know what? Am I too attached to this temporary world that right now I'm not actually pulling any cords up to heaven? Am I still hungry for your return right now? Am I still looking to heaven? And one more, notice the other one. It says the same thing. If you give ear, and literally the idea of that is to extend, to reach out. If you give ear to his commandments and all of, and keep all the statutes. Do you see the and in there? Now, to give ear, you ever have someone speak to you? And, and, and what's worse, especially where we live here, where everyone comes from everywhere and they speak something kind of English, but they also are really quiet. And you find by the time you're done, one cheek on your rear end is numb because you've been leaning over like this the whole time trying to hear them. You know, and you're like, what was that? And they're like, what do And you're like, ha ah. ha. And the reason I say that is the idea of extending your ear where you're reaching out. God says, that's what I want. When God starts to clear his throat, I want to go, oh yeah. I want to be leaning into it. I don't want to be like, yeah, well you're going to have to prove it to me. And God goes, But I want you to do more than that. I want you to be willing to do it. I want you to be willing to keep it. I want you to be willing to guard it. Not just kind of add your own little flair to it. I want you to listen to me and do it. I want you to extend your ear and keep it. Because if you do that, you're going to be healthy. I'm going to bless you because you're going to learn I'm the God who heals you. And then it says, now what's the next thing? Finally, last verse, they came to Elam. Elam, by the way, can you say Elam? Elam means, by the way, palm trees. Elam, it says, there were 12 walls of water and 70 palm trees. Now more than likely, in a place like this, the palm trees would be more than likely something like a date palm. Big palms that drop dates And which means, by the way, this is the opposite of the place we just came from. by the way, the place we just came from, what was it called again? Mara, which means? Bitterness, right. And so we, guess what? You can leave bitterness. And you know what's really cool when you leave bitterness? Guess where you wound up? In a place with pools of water where food literally drops out of the sky. Right? I mean, it's like you just see 70 palm trees and you just sort of sit next to one. And you're like, I am so hungry. Ooh. Would you like a date? <laughs> uh, that's my wife, in case you don't know. <laughs> this is not me being opportunistic. Oh no, you're welcome to say yes. Uh, <laughs> and here's the, here's the beauty, friends, as we go to prayer and look at where we're at right we're on time, and with the half of what, I, one third of what I wanted, but God knew. Is God's going to give a reprieve before our next set of tests? And obviously, what we're going to find then in the wilderness is God is going to actually be bringing our spirits into the fire and say, "Well, let me ask you, where are you at with this?" And and if my heart deceives me, then I want to ask Him because I don't want to just say, "Well, I'm sure it's good," when maybe my heart says so, but but the Lord may differ on that. He's already been the God who removes. He's been the God who saves. He's been the God who who proves. But he's now he's about to prove that he provides and that he heals. And this is part of my journey as I start to follow the Lord is he has to prove that he's going to be everything. Because in the end of all, what the Lord really wants to be is everything. Which means he wants to be my love so that I can get my love from him and then from the overflow dump it on my wife and children instead of trying to get it from my wife and children and then somehow manufacture that to the Lord. He wants to actually give me such a heart to serve for you so that I can serve you without asking for anything in return for it because in the end of it all, I've already been blessed by God and it's out of overflow. He needs to be everything. My passion, my romance, my creativity, my gifts, my weaknesses, and not just my filth and my rubbish and my garbage and my dross, the stuff that I'm more than likely to have. In other words, God knows to be more than just your rubbish collector. So he takes us to this place. And by the way, for what it's worth, isn't it interesting that the two numbers, there was 12 and 70, 12 fulls of water and 70 palm trees. I only say that's interesting because when I get to Matthew, those are going to be the numbers of people that he sends out. He sends out 12, first of all to preach the gospel of his kingdom, and then he sends out 70. And I think it's interesting because here it's the water first and then it's the trees that bring forth the fruit. And I think that's interesting from a place like we even looked at in 2 Kings where there was no fruitfulness. With all of that said, I want to go to prayer, but I want to ask again, if, if, are we willing to pray a dangerous prayer today? First of all, that God would make us honest, honest about where we're really at in regards to any forgiveness or unforgiveness. Second of all, that God would actually make us really honest about where we're at as we trust Him in His provision. God, what you give me, let that be enough. As we walk past that, and then finally on that, that we would actually seek the Lord and say, Lord... Where is my spirit at in regards to eternity? Am I so attaching to this world that I'm so diving into the things of this world that I forgot what it was like to just hunger for heaven? So I ask then, first of all, have you even accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, that death on your behalf, where all of your sins were forgiven by the one who you offended? It's so he so loved you that he was willing to die on the cross and raise again on the third day. That's where this starts. If you haven't, I'm going to give you the chance to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you have, I'm going to give us the chance to walk out of Mara today. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just think it's such a beautiful thing that you brought them out of bitterness to a place where you could have a date with them. <laughs> and I think it's so beautiful, Lord, that in the end of this chapter, how you are already refining these people who have been in bondage for 400 years and are unaware that still in their hearts there's still bondage to be removed from. Though they've watched Egypt and their army drown in the Red Sea, the enemy taken down, and yet, Lord, in all of that still, still, there is bondage in the hearts. And I imagine how many of those would have had bitterness over the taskmasters who beat them, over Pharaoh who treated them like they weren't human beings, over each other and the way they mistreated each other just to survive. And yet at this point, you want them not just free, but free indeed. Totally free. But for that to happen, Lord, we are occasionally aware that we hit the wall. The problem with something like bitterness is is that even today we'll have more things that we can choose to be bitter over. Brand new fodder, new ammunition. And for the rest of our life here on earth, there will be opportunities for us to pick new things to be bitter about. But Jesus, I thank you that you didn't just die for the sins that I committed before I came to you. But you died for every one of my sins. So Lord, you already knew what I've yet to do that I'm going to be ashamed of. Prayerfully nothing, but I I have a sneaking feeling that there will be things as a human. Though I have no plans for any, and yet, Lord, I know that you've already provided payment for them. And so, Lord, may we walk in that too. And for those, Lord, who have been horribly mistreated, who have experienced horrible things, we have even gone to counsel for those things and have been told that they will spend the rest of their life with their scarlet letter of that event upon them. Or they will bear the burden of that thing for the rest of their life. And yet, Lord, that so flies in the face of the truth your scripture says. Lord, that each day we walk further away from the person we used to be because that person has been killed at the cross. Thank you that we can be a new creation, and not just a new creation, but continually that new creation. So I pray for every believer here, myself included, that not even the smallest hint of bitterness that you tell us is the seed of murder would be found in us. And Lord, for those things, Lord, that have been horrible and and been terribly done, and Lord, we can choose whether that someone accidentally gave us a paper cut or someone did something really, really bad to us. And yet, Lord, in that maybe in the beginning we're going to need to just take it and take it and take it to you. But Lord, you've not asked us to take it alone. Lord, you've, just like with Moses, I truly believe that he had to get a call for help. And so, Lord, may we have, may you bring people in our life that we can call for backup and say, you know what, first of all, I I just need to say this is something that that I'm dealing with and I I need you to help me throw throw the tree in. And throw the tree in and throw the tree in. And yet, you tell us that once the tree is really thrown in, that the whole thing is not just made drinkable, but made sweet. And Lord, I want sweetness where bitterness has been. That we could become sweet people who love each other. Even more than we already do. So Lord, deliver us from any and all bitterness. Even right now, please. But also, Lord, that you've called us, Lord, to... to, to disconnect, Lord, further, to be in the world but not of it. Lord, to be representatives of the place for which we are citizens, and that is heaven. And Lord, in that, I know that we can get so caught up in this world that we can even just forget about our homeland and forget about the call you've put on our lives for it. And yet, Lord, I say, rather than that, reattach us, Lord, to the things of eternity. Get the salt back in our source. And that in that, Lord, we would have that attachment to eternity. That everything would be reflected through the eyes of, that have seen beyond the small horizon of the temporary and the moment to that of the eternal. And Lord, in that, may we trust that You will provide exactly what You want and it will be all we need. So I commit that to You, Lord Jesus. And I pray right now, there be any in here who have yet to say yes to the gift that you offered them at the cross that today would be the day they say yes and as I pray this prayer now saints I ask you to listen you out there friends who have just been hearing this and trying to reconcile it as I pray this prayer if you fully agree at the end I ask you to say a confident and resounding amen and what you're saying is I agree, let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. And here it is. God, I've offended you through my sin. My selfishness, I've offended you. I've sinned against you. And in sinning against you, you have the right to punish me. And have you just been a God of justice, solely a God of justice, you'd have all the right to send me to hell and I'd have no recourse for it. But you love me. And in loving me, you sent your Son, your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross for me so that all of my sins could be paid for in full, all my crimes punished. And there my punishment and penalty died. And as you rose from the dead, you offered to make me a new person, brand new, fresh and clean, born again. And I say yes to Jesus as my Savior, my ransom, my Redeemer, and my Lord. Have me now. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Mm. If you've prayed that prayer today for the first time, I'd love to speak with you. It is such a gift to be able to do this, friends. I absolutely love it. Do you know I've been doing this for 20 years now? I started when I was four. Just kidding. Shouldn't end this with a lie.